If you have your Bibles, or if you're not, you can focus your attention upon the screen. Why don't we go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7. Verse 7 through, through 9. And if we could, let's, let's go ahead and, and read the odd verses together. And I'll read the even verse all by my lonesome. But as we do, it's important to be in unity as we read. Okay? All right? It sounds so great when you're all together. Sounds so good when it's just like this choir of voices lifting up and... And the word of the Lord is powerful. Together, let's read. And lest I should be exalted. We've done better. <laughs> we'll get it on the ninth one, though. For this thing I besought the Lord... Three times. That it might depart from me. Nine, everybody together. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, that the power of Christ Yes, 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 yes. Three times Paul asked. Three times he asked the Lord to remove what he called a thorn in his flesh. Three times. And the Lord replied, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. So my title this morning, Less Than Perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm less than perfect. I started to say, turn to your neighbor and say, you're less than perfect, but that wouldn't be as good. <laughs> Do it one more time. Turn to somebody else and say, I'm less than perfect. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, for your touch, for your spirit, for your anointing. I pray you'd loose your anointing in this house, loose faith in this place. Encourage those that have come this morning, those that are tuned in wherever they are. Encourage, strengthen, move right now. Do what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. You may be seated. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. Less than perfect. God allowed at least one thing into Paul's life to remind him that he must lean upon Jesus. And most of us, most of us here, all of us here have something as well. In all of our lives, there's something that's not exactly perfect. And just in case you don't know or maybe forgot, let me tell you that that's okay. Turn your neighbor and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right not to be perfect because there's none here that are. His grace is sufficient 
for you. His grace is sufficient. It's just how life is. The, there are things in all of our lives that are going well and are going uh, good, while at the very same time there are other parts or other issues or other situations that, that seemingly are a mess. The Apostle Paul had so much going well in his life, missionary, church, church planner, three missionary journeys recorded throughout the book of Acts, soul winner, converter of, uh, of disciples to Christ, preacher, pastor, New Testament writer, penned uh, at least half of the New Testament, uh, abundance of revelation caught up, he said one time, into the third heaven that it was not lawful for him to talk about the things that he had received. Uh, going in power and demonstration uh, of the Spirit of God, miracles, signs, uh, and wonders confirming uh, the word preached through the Apostle Paul. But it wasn't perfect. Perfect. It was less than perfect. There was a thorn he described in his flesh. Nelson's Bible dictionary says that many explanations have been given or have been offered about the nature or the identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh. If the best translation is in the flesh, referring to the physical flesh that we all have, the thorn may refer to a physical infirmity, maybe epilepsy or maybe malaria or maybe a bad eyesight. An eye ailment seems to be supported by Galatians chapter 4. At least that's what we might be thinking. Paul said to that church at Galatia, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and have given them to me. That's why many individuals that study this think that it was possibly blindness or possibly an eye ailment that, that Paul suffered from. We don't really know truly what it was, but we do know that Paul was used mightily of God, but yet he had a thorn in his flesh, and God chooses not to remove that from him. So Paul is not quite perfect. In his classic tale, a tale of two cities, Charles Dickens gives one of the most infamous lines in literature. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. He goes on. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of Darkness. It was a spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. The best of times, he says, the worst of times, all at the same time. And on the surface, we would say Charles Dickens uh, obviously was a bit 
crazy. <laughs> but ironically, we understand exactly what he's talking about. Most of us live our lives with good and bad going on simultaneously. Good and bad all at the same times. I've heard a preacher say one time, I, I could write a book about my life and without embellishing anything, if I just share the good and I should share the successes, you would be envious of those happenings. And yet I could write another book and never share anything but true happenings and just let you in on some hardships and some trials and you'd feel sorry for me. You, you would pity me. Folks, it's all the same book. Things are good in one area of our life while at the very same time horrible in another area. Things are great possibly for you at work, but then when you get home in your marriage, everything is stressed. Church is good, you may say, but, but work is tough. You others may say marriage is great, but my kids are giving me a nervous breakdown. Some would say finances are good, but my health, on the other hand, is bad. Others would say my health is good, but my finances are bad. It seems like there's always something. It can never be just everything Perfect. I remember one vacation time we had. We went skiing, and the kids were quite a bit smaller than they are now. And and, and it was obviously in ski weather, it's it's cold outside. And and Andrew was sick, and and, and he wasn't sick when we got there, but somehow he, he he caught something and he got sick uh, maybe about halfway through. And, and and then Matthew was in his little class, and and he's sick, and and, and we got two kids that are sick and we're, we're out of town and we're spending money and we're trying to have a good time, but, but it's hard to have a good time when other things are, are bringing you down. So, so it should be a great time for all, but, but we're brought down because of a struggle in some other area of our life, unable to even enjoy good times. You know how it is. Uh, folks come over to your house. Uh, there's some things that, you know, you let them go in the living room. You let them go in the, maybe the dining room. You let them go in, maybe the kitchen, but but there's some areas of your life you, you don't want them walking through. There's closed doors that behind those closed doors, everything that was in that living room and everything that was in the floors of that dining room, you picked them up and, and you put them in that closet or you put them in that spare room or you put them in that bedroom uh, to where everything that appeared to be uh, clean on the outside, but there was some areas uh, that took all the junk uh, that wouldn't be physically seen by those uh, that came over. You know how it is. It, it's less than perfect. The scripture bears this out for our lives that, that if one member of the body is hurt, uh, the whole body suffers. Uh, if you're working on something and you're nailing something and hammering, hammering a nail in and you smash a 
your thumb with a hammer. It doesn't matter at the moment that your back is feeling great. It doesn't matter that your, your heart is pumping and, and, and there's no clogged arteries. It doesn't matter that your legs are, are all good and your joints are good. At that moment, all that matters to you is that thumb is throbbing and hurting and there's pain right there. You don't care about the things that aren't hurting. What you care about is that one thumb that is hurting. The problem with this fact of life is that we are drawn to the negatives. You read an article, you turn on the news, you'll be greeted with a tragic headline. That's what sells ads. That's what drives up ratings. We believe a negative report without a second thought. But good news has to be proven to us. Think about that statement for just a moment. We believe a negative report without any proof. But when it's good news, it almost has to be proven to us. We believe that. Negative is easy. I'll show you that in the Bible. King Hezekiah was very sick. Prophet Isaiah comes to him, gives him a word from God to get your house in order. You're going to die. You're going to pass from this life. Hezekiah begins to weep and cry before the Lord. Oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to. God turns Isaiah around, gives a new word of prophecy for Hezekiah, said, God has heard your cries. You'll live 15 more years. Now listen. When, when, when the prophet told Hezekiah that God said, get your house in order, did he, did he think a second thought about it? He, he knew he was going to die. He, he starts seeking the Lord. He starts crying out to God. But then when, when he comes back and he says, hey, God has heard your cries. You're going to live 15 more years. The first thing Hezekiah does is he asks for a sign. Is this true? Is this true? How will I know that this word is true? He took the, the negative word. He took the judgment word as being true with no proof. But then he gets a positive word back, and suddenly he needs something, something that will solidify this. How will I know that this is true? And God has to make the sundial move back. 10 degrees for the king to believe the good report when he accepted the bad news with no question asked. That's the nature of man. Why do we do that? What's wrong with us? What's fundamentally wrong with us that we would do that? Why are we so drawn to the negative? I'm going to ask you to do something right now. This is kind of an exercise. Don't look at the ceiling. Nobody. Don't look at the ceiling. Is there something up there? Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look up at the ceiling. Anybody see anybody looking up? Don't look up at the ceiling. What do you want to do right now? You just naturally want to peek up there. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we want to do what we're not supposed to do? Think about Adam and Eve. You are free to eat, not bound, not bound, not dictated to. You're free to eat any tree in the garden. Just don't eat that one. 
Just don't eat that one because the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. You're free. You've got freedom in this garden. You're not bound. You're not, you're not bound by, by, by do's and don'ts. No, you're free. There's freedom in this garden. Eat any tree you want. Just don't eat that one. But they're drawn to it. They're drawn to it. Think about David, King David. He, he, he could have chose any one of hundreds of women in the kingdom. But not that one. That one's not free. That one's, that one's married. That one's, that one's taken. This is important today because our lives are less than perfect. Less than perfect. There could be 99 things going right in our life, but we're focused on the one thing that's wrong. The one thing that's bothering you. The one thing that's out of place. It keeps us up at night. We can't enjoy dinner. We're literally sick sometimes because of that one that one thing, maybe it's that uh, relationship, maybe it's that uh, situation, maybe that uh, illness, sickness, maybe it's that uh, thing that you fear, that thorn in the flesh that, that ruins our perfect little life. Newsflash, life will almost never, ever be absolutely perfect. If life has to be perfect for you to enjoy it, it's going to be miserable for you because it's almost never perfect. You're going to miss out on so many special and so many wonderful moments because they're rushed, because you don't feel great, because there's so much stress. You probably experienced it when it seems like one thing right after another goes wrong, and then it's something else. It gets to the point where one can't even enjoy the good times because they're waiting and expecting something bad to take place or a bad day to come you have to learn that life in life bad days are coming whether you enjoy the good ones or not they're still coming so you may as well enjoy the good days enjoy the good that God blesses you with enjoy the good things because there's rain coming down on the just and the unjust alike there's good days and there's bad days. Learn to enjoy the good rather than only focus on the bad and waiting for the bad to take place. Any sports fans in the house? Any? Let me see your hands. Astros been in the World Series three out of the last five years. That's an awesome thing. Three out of the last five years. That's a, that's a rare thing. That's a lot. We hope they can pull out the impossible and the improbable. Somebody say amen. We're hoping for them. We're praying for Brother Carlos and Brother Jose. But if they lose, if they lose, you still enjoy. You still have to enjoy it. For, 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 for most here, they're still going to be your favorite baseball team. But winning it all comes so rarely. And that is for whatever team in whatever sport that you bring up. If you're a Texan fan, oh my. The percentages of ending on top, winning that last game, is very low. Percentages of winning that last game is so, so very low. The Astros have had a lot of great seasons that were less 
than perfect. Where they didn't win the last game. But you know what? It's still fun. It's still fun. You don't have to win every game for it to be fun. Now, I have to tell myself that sometimes. But you don't. In life, you're not going to win every single game that you play. You're, you're not going to have a good day every single day of your life. There will be bad times that come as well. Enjoy the good. Learn to enjoy the good. It doesn't have to be perfect to, to be enjoy, enjoyable. The Bible is a wonderful book, and it lets us in on the failures uh, as well as the successes of men and women throughout Scripture. Even some of the greatest uh, were less than perfect. Uh, and I love these kinds of lists. Uh, you list down through the patriarchs. You list down through our favorite characters of the Bible. And you'll see that they were less than perfect. Abraham lied. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Moses stuttered. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers, stomach problems. Hosea's wife, you think you have marital problems. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos's only training was in the school of figly tree pruning. Jacob was a liar, a deceiver. David had an affair, was a murderer. Solomon was too rich. Jesus, too poor. Abraham, too old. David, too young. Peter, afraid. John, self-righteous. Naomi, a widow. David, as I said, a murderer. So was Moses. They were less than Perfect. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted God. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Mary was a worrywart. Martha was lazy. Did I get those wrong? Did I say Mary was lazy or Martha? Mary was the lazy one, not Martha. Martha was the worrywart. Noah got drunk, folks. Moses had a short fuse. So did Peter. So did Paul. So did a lot of others. The common thread throughout these heroes of faith is that they were all less than perfect. But somehow, they were mightily used by God. They never quite got it all together, maybe. Their ducks were never all the way completely in a row. But they were heroes in the scripture. Come on, somebody. Who, what are you holding back from? Why would, you let any, why would you let any thought come into your mind about quitting? Why would anyone think about quitting? It's about time to get back up, to dust yourself off, and get back in. In the game to get back in the fighting the good fight of faith it's about time to enjoy your less than perfect life do it the best that you can we may not be all that bad after all probably not near as bad as what you think you are god folks doesn't hire and fire like some boss at your job 
He doesn't do that. Why? Because he's more like our dad than he is our boss. He doesn't look at financial gain or financial loss. He's not prejudiced or partial. He's not deaf to our cry. He's not blind to our faults. His gifts are to us are free. We can do wonderful things for others and still not be wonderful ourselves. You can minister to somebody while you're still hurting. Someone said God uses the imperfect to perfect the imperfect. He'll use the imperfect to perfect the perfect. But the devil, your adversary, says, no, you can't do that. You're not worthy. But Jesus says, no, he's right. You aren't worthy, but I am. I'm perfect. I can help you. Satan looks back and he sees your mistakes. God looks back and he sees the cross of Calvary. He sees the blood applied to your life. So it's not really about me. It's not really about you. It's really all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's really about his grace. And his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough for you. It's by grace. It's his grace. When I am weak, he is strong. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. So the valley of my weakness is not the place of despair. It's the fertile ground to witness the miraculous of God. My weaknesses, my trouble, my despair is where I go on the lookout for his grace to be sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. The call of God has never been about your flesh. Your weakness does not disqualify you. Your less than perfect life does not disqualify you. You are exactly who God has been looking for. Get your focus. Get your attention off the thing that's wrong in your life and begin to focus on Jesus Christ. Instead of focusing on what's wrong with you, focus on what's right with Jesus. Every person that walked in here miserable today, you are focused on the wrong thing. You've got to change that. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's not enough just to, just to throw some information out and not give you application 
situation, to be able to change your current situation, to be able to change where you are in your life. Even when life is not perfect, you don't need a blessing to do it. Listen, you don't, you don't need it when you, you can do it when you're broke, you can do it when you're rich, you can do it when you're sick, you can do it when you're well, you can do it when you're hurting, you can do it when you're feeling good, you can do it when you're sad, you can do it when you're hungry, you don't need the check in the mail, you don't need a new car and a new car payment, you don't need that anyway, you don't have to have money, you don't need a clean house, you don't need a healing, you don't need a perfect marriage to do this, I'm talking folks about something that can change your life and what I'm talking about is worship. Thanksgiving and praise are in response to what he has done. We come in and we thank God for what he's done. We praise God for what he's done. He answered a prayer. He blessed us. We're thankful for that. We praise him for that. Those are usually when things are going good. Easy to praise God, easy to thank God uh, when, when, when everything is being blessed and things are going right. But worship doesn't need a reason. Worship doesn't need the prayer to be answered. Worship doesn't need the blessing to be flowing. Worship is not about this current situation. Worship is all about him. Worship doesn't need a healing or a blessing. Job did it after he lost everything. The maniac from Gadaria did it while he was demon-possessed. Paul and Silas did it while they were in jail, in prison. So whatever you're facing and whatever you may be going through, you can worship if you want to. You can worship if you want to. After Job lost everything, he fell down to the ground and he worshiped. He worshiped on the worst day of his life. And he said this. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can I ask somebody that's hurting today, can you still worship? Can you still worship somebody who's got a broken heart, someone whose life doesn't make sense, someone who's sick in body, somebody who's worried to death, somebody who's depressed, somebody who's discouraged, somebody that's been done wrong? Can you worship? Can you lift up a hand? Can you lift up your voice? Can you lift up your heart unto the Lord? I know it's not easy. How could it be to worship what's right about God even when it feels so wrong? Sometimes it may not be easy, but just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and worship because regardless of what you may be going through, God is still worthy of worship. Such a mess in individuals' life. If you're not worshiping, listen, if you're not worshiping, I'll tell you what the problem is not. The problem is not the devil. Not he, he's not the problem. If you're not worshiping, it's not because of the devil. If the devil could stop you from worship, you would have never raised your hands the first time. 
you would have never opened your mouth the first time if he could stop you. He can't stop you. He would have let you be in the service today. He could have stopped you. I started to go off on, on something else there, but we'll reel it back in. On what would be his day? Some folks strain in a gnat, but swallow a camel. Hear me. You strain at a gnat sometimes. You focus on other people's problems and what other people aren't doing, but then you swallow a camel. And the ones that need that, it just went. The devil cannot stop you. If he could stop you, he would already have stopped you. Some folks give the devil way too much credit. Way too much credit for the bad that's going wrong in your life. He may have some power. I'll give him that, some some power. But in comparison to our God, it's not even comparable. There's no comparison. When Jesus came to town, this man who was bound by chains and no man could tame him comes running to the feet of Jesus and worships. The Bible declares that, that uh, he spoke, the, the, the devil spoke out of this man and said, and said, we are legion for we are many. So it wasn't just a devil that was inside of this man, but it was legions of devils. And even though there were multiple devils in this man, when Jesus came, the devils that were inside of him, that had possessed him, that had controlled him, his living was in the tombs, he was cutting his they tried to chain him up but he'd break the chains but when Jesus came you know what he did he fell down at his feet and worshipped him the devils could not keep that man from worshipping Jesus he worships and the devil cannot stop you the devil cannot stop you from worshiping the Lord he cannot stop you from serving the Lord give your life totally and completely to God if Paul and Silas could in jail beaten in chains worship then I can do it here in the house of God on a Sunday morning where I have health and I have strength and I have freedom and I can just do it I can't be stopped I promise you this if you ever decide to worship the devil will have no power to stop you he has no answer for Jesus in your life greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God will never make you do it though. God will never make you worship. He's not twisting your arm. He's not throwing you up against the wall and saying worship. You've got to do it on your own free will. The devil will never, never, never be able to stop you from worshiping our great God. He cannot stop you. It's within your reach. It's within your ability. All you have to do is worship him. Stand with me here this morning. Don't go out, though, yet. 
Worship gets our focus back in the right place. Listen to this. As we magnify the Lord, our troubles get smaller. As we magnify the Lord, our troubles get smaller. What happens is uh, you can't have a good day and you can't celebrate the good times uh, because you've so magnified the bad times. Uh, you've so magnified the problem uh, that you don't see the goodness of God, uh, that you don't see the good times. Uh, you've got to magnify the Lord uh, and that will decrease in your sight uh, or at least in your ability to see the problems that are in your life. Uh, the problems are going to be there. You're not going to be problem free in this world. You will have trouble. Jesus said that. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And I think a, a lot of people's issue is, is God's not big enough in their life. You don't make God bigger by magnifying him. He's already, heavens or the heavens cannot contain him. If you could ever get a glimpse of the, the goodness and the greatness and, the, and, and how big our great God is, problems wouldn't bother you as much. The trouble in this life wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have its effect on you. If you really got a glimpse of, of what God is, who God is, how God loves you and how God cares for you. You magnify something. I haven't done this in quite a while. You take a magnifying glass and you, you go over the words of a page or go over a rock or, or whatever. That thing looks bigger to your sight. Now, it doesn't change it. The words are still that small, but you use something to magnify it to you. It's still small, but now you see it bigger. And a lot of times... Though God is great and though God, the, again, the heavens or oh, the heavens cannot contain him. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. It's all his. It's all God's. Stay with me. Scientists come and said, all right, God, we found a way to make man without you. And God says, let me see this. And the scientist reached down and grabs a handful of dirt. And God says, oh, wait, 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 wait. Get your own dirt, buddy. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. He created it. He spoke it into existence. That's why it's, it's so crazy when people start to think, oh, well, I did this. I made this. It's my effort that, that pulled this together. It's, it's my money. It's my talent. Oh, it's all God's, folks. You don't have anything without God. You are nothing without God. Less than perfect is, that's given us some magnification. Are you hearing me? We need to magnify God in our own, in our own minds and in our own image to, to where we actually see how big and how great our God is. And when we do that, your problem is going to get so much smaller in your own view. Do you still have the problem? Is it still there? Are you still going to have to go through it? Absolutely. But when you get the image and the understanding of how big and how great God is, 
Suddenly, that problem is not near as big as you thought it was. Suddenly, it's not anything like what you thought it was. And as soon as you realize God is bigger than your trouble, your life is about to get much, much better. And folks, it's not just hype. Job's body was healed and he got everything back uh, that he lost and double. But what did he do to kick it in? He worshiped. He worshiped. Folks, the chains fell off of Paul and Silas and the doors of the prison sprang open. When? After they prayed and worshiped. And worship. The demoniac of Gadaria was clothed and sitting in his right mind. After he did what? After he worshiped. And Paul, folks, got it. Paul said, Your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. God said it. My grace is sufficient for you. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. It's in those weak areas of your lives that we must depend on the grace of God. And it will be enough. It will be sufficient. God's grace is enough. Lean on Him. Trust in Him. Depend upon Him. Because without Him, we are more than less than perfect. Less than perfect doesn't disqualify you. God's grace is sufficient for